Hello, and welcome to the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma, TraumaCast series. I'm your host, Dr. Babak Sarani, Associate Professor of Surgery at the George Washington University Hospital. Joining us today is Colonel Mark Boyer, Professor of Surgery and Chief of the Division of Trauma and Combat Surgery at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. Dr. Boyer has dedicated a significant portion of his career to education and simulation and was the leading person who designed the American College of Surgeons Advanced Surgical Skills for Exposure in Trauma, or ACID, course. We will be discussing education in trauma, what the ACID course is, how it came to be, what it seeks to do, and how our methodology and goals in educating trauma surgeons are going to evolve over time. Welcome, Dr. Boyer. Let's start by putting things in perspective. What are the current shortcomings in general surgery training in terms of operative management of trauma? Well, good morning, Dr. Strani. Uh, I think that we have a lot of challenges in medical and surgical education. Uh, surgical training and vascular surgery training in particular face a number of significant current and future challenges. I think the introduction of work hour restrictions as well as some of the other demands upon uh, residents has led to dramatically in decreased opportunities for exposure to clinical material. There's been an increasing trend towards non-operative management of trauma patients. This has also resulted in decreased clinical material. And there's decreased exposures by trainees to surgical experience with trauma. The thing that also has taken place is there's been increasing specialization of our, our vascular surgeons, and their training has also diluted the available training cases for general surgery residents, and the majority of open vascular cases are now being done by vascular surgery fellows, uh, and this has been to the detriment of general surgery trainees. Although vascular surgery is still considered an integral component of our general surgery training, there's been decreasing experience with vascular trauma amongst our graduating residents. And in fact, if you look at the numbers, there's actually, they're actually quite alarming. Over the last 10 years, the average number of major vascular cases, this for trauma, and this includes repair of the thoracic aorta, the anomena, the subclavian, the neck vessels, the abdominal aorta, and the peripheral vessels has actually decreased dramatically when you look at the numbers that our residents submit to sit for their boards. And in fact, the average number in 2001-2002 for the graduating chief residents was 5.0. That's on average. In 2010-2011, that number had decreased to 2.1. Keep in mind, these are averages, and these are for all major vascular trauma exposures, which tells you that the experience is very low, and in fact, some residents are getting zero experience mm -hmm. with vascular trauma. If you also look at things such as fasciotomy, brachial artery exposure, those numbers are actually alarmingly low as well. Fasciotomy numbers are about 1.2. Brachial artery exposure uh, the average reported in 2010-2011 was 0, 0.0 for graduating chief residents. Uh, if you look at these numbers, I think it's clear to say that there's a suboptimal experience in the surgical management of vascular trauma. If you look across our borders, uh, in Canada, there's a similar problem. And in fact, in a recent survey of Canadian surgical residents, 90% of those reported an intention to perform vascular procedures, but they felt that they were inadequately trained in up to uh, in 10 of the 13 procedures that were surveyed. And the authors of that study concluded that current trainees may lack the skills and abilities to deal with vascular emergencies. 
So I think that in spite of this growing prevalence of surgical trained vascular surgeons, uh, there's clearly a need for general surgery practitioners to be proficient in the, in the uh, treatment of trauma uh, for vascular uh, injuries. Uh, and there's not always going to be a vascular specialist available. Uh, there are areas of the world where there are not vascular specialists. And the uh, current crop of vascular surgeons may not be adequately trained either to care for trauma. And in fact, if you look at uh, experience with vascular fellows in the uh, treatment of injuries to the thorax and the neck, it's actually quite low. And in fact, it averages uh, for a year of cases to about 0.3 to 0.8 for those major vascular injuries. And actual practicing vascular surgeons also do very little vascular trauma as well. And in fact, in order to do recertify in vascular surgery, you need to submit a year's worth of cases. And over the last uh, decade, the number of cases submitted uh, by surgeons recertifying in vascular surgery for trauma has gone down dramatically. In 2009, only 23% of recertifying vascular surgeons report a vascular trauma experience of less than zero. And of those who report an experience, the average is four. So I think it's, it's clear to say that, um, that there's, there's a gap. Uh, this has not gone unnoticed by the members of the American College of Surgeons Committee on Trauma. And the ASSET course, which stands for Advanced Surgical Skills, Exposures, and Trauma, was developed to meet this specific need. Vascular in particular and fasciotomies. Vascular in particular. So what prompted you to want to create the ASSET course? Well, the, this uh, had been a long-term um, process. Uh, the committee uh, and the Committee on Trauma um, identified that there was a gap in training, that there was a real need to teach people how to get rapid access and exposure to big blood vessels, and that this wasn't being met by our current training paradigm. So the um, leadership of the Committee on Trauma chartered a ad hoc surgical skills committee in 2005, uh, which was tasked to develop a standardized skills-based course to teach proper techniques for the exposure of traumatically injured blood vessels. This committee was made up of uh, internationally and nationally known members of the Committee on Trauma and uh, experts in trauma care. And the way the course came about is that we uh, looked at all the possible exposures that one could anticipate that a surgeon needed to know how to do to take care of trauma. We generated a comprehensive list and this list was shopped around to the members of the committee, and they were asked to, uh, to vote whether or not it should be included in the course. Anything that didn't meet at least 90% consensus was not included in the course. So utilizing the so-called modified Delphi uh, procedure or technique, we actually uh, devised a consensus opinion of what should be included in the course. And so for whom is the uh, course geared? This course was developed primarily to address the needs of senior surgical residents, fellows in vascular uh, surgery, and, and also importantly, surgeons in the community who are tasked to take trauma call but don't see a lot of vascular trauma. Yeah, it's that last group that really catches my attention, particularly the general surgeons who 
who take trauma call, which would be the majority of people who take trauma call. And uh, frequently you find that although they, they want to do well, they just simply don't have the skill set to do so when an actual patient uh, event occurs. Um, how prevalent is the course? Where are the sites? Well, the course was actually uh, the first official course of the college was in October 2010. And uh, as the current chair of the committee, it's been uh, my goal to proclamate this course rapidly across the country. And we've achieved that uh, to a remarkable extent. So currently, uh, we uh, have proclamated the course to, uh, as of uh, the end of this month, we'll have 30 sites across the country. Uh, many of the sites have, uh, have gone on to offer additional courses. And so to date, there have been somewhat over 100 courses that have been conducted across the United States with more than 1,000 practitioners who've uh, taken the course. And additionally, there have been about 200 instructors who have been um, developed as part of this process. All right, and a couple more logistical questions about ACID, and we can talk about where ACID fits into the um, other um, courses that are also available for trauma training. Um, Firstly, if someone's interested in taking the course, where do they find out where the course is being offered? Well, the course uh, is being uh, administered by the American College of Surgeons Committee on Trauma. And right now, the, the best way to find out where to, um, to get information about courses is to go to the, the homepage of the American College of Surgeons, which is the facs.org, and to look under the Division of uh, Trauma in the Education link. Uh, under that, find, under that, you will find a, a page for the asset course. This will list contact points for the, uh, for the folks at the college in charge of asset. It also lists uh, upcoming courses. Additionally, um, the uh, email asset at facs.org, that's asset, A-S-S-E-T, at facs.org, uh, we'll get you in contact with the appropriate people at the college that can help get you into a course. Okay, and how often does one need to recertify? Well, currently we haven't set an expiration date, uh, but the, we, the skills taught in this course uh, likely will need refreshing for someone that doesn't do this on an ongoing basis. And many individuals who've taken the course already have expressed an interest in retaking it at a later time. All right, so with, with kind of the background on asset, let's talk back again toward uh, education in general. There are obviously a couple of other key courses in the trauma field that go through the college. There's ATLS, which is the granddaddy of them all. And then there's Adam. So let's talk about where does asset fit into this spectrum, ATLS, Adam, asset. Well, you know, as you well know, the ATLS course is, is de designed to, to care for the trauma patient in the first uh, hour or so of the injury. And in the end of ATLS, it says now you transfer the patient to a surgeon. Well, Adam and Asset are both designed to, to address the question, if you're the surgeon, now what do you do? Adam was developed uh, by Len Jacobs at the University of Connecticut. And uh, this course was designed to teach advanced trauma operative management in a porcine model or a pig model. Uh, this course was designed to teach very basic trauma skills, things like how do you sew um, bowel together, how do you repair holes in the stomach, how do you take out the spleen, how do you fix a kidney injury, how do you fix a ureteral injury, a bladder injury, and it has very limited vascular um, uh, applications, specifically uh, students who take the ATOM course 
will sew up a hole in the heart, the actively beating heart, and they'll also fix a hole in the inferior vena cava. So the, the advantage of the ADAM course is it actually teaches you how to manage living tissue that bleeds. The major disadvantage of the ADAM course is that it's pig anatomy, it's not human anatomy, and there are a lot of differences between the pig and the human in terms of anatomy, specifically when you're talking about how do I get to a big blood vessel in a hurry that's bleeding. Uh, the pig subclavian is not quite the same as in a human subclavian. So the asset course is, was designed to be complementary uh, to the ADAM course, not to replace the ADAM course and not to be done specifically uh, in lieu of the ADAM course, but to be complementary and specifically designed to teach human anatomy and how to get to blood vessels in a hurry in the human. So I've been fortunate enough to be an ADAM course director and I'm working on the asset side. One of the problems that we had with ADAM was the cost. Uh, because Adam mandates a one-to-one -one student to instructor ratio. So you get one pig, one instructor, one student, which is an excellent experience for the student, but it's very, very expensive. Asset, on the other hand, is a four-to-one experience. It's four students per one instructor and one cadaver. That drops the cost nicely. How did you guys come up with that, and how do you think that's impacted the quality of education rendered? I, I, that's, a, that's a great question, and I think that this is something we've struggled with. And it's interesting, if you look at when we developed the asset course, actually the initial paradigm was that we would have two faculty and two students per cadaver. And so it essentially was a one-to-one -one faculty to student ratio. And uh, the members of our committee felt that this would be the ideal way to teach residents. After about our fourth or fifth beta course, we actually had uh, Jamila Lee who many of you may know is uh, one of our senior educators and trauma surgeons at the American College of Surgeons, uh, consult on the course. And after watching the course, he suggested that we try doing a course in which we had four students and one faculty. Uh, we implemented this with our next beta course, and actually what we found out, uh, much to the surprise of many of our committee members, this was actually a better educational experience for the residents. And why was that? Well, the problem was is when you had one faculty and one student dissecting on a cadaver, the tendency was for the faculty to take over the dissection. And therefore, the student uh, was oftentimes watching the instructor operate instead of doing the procedure themselves. When we added four students and one faculty, it made it such that the faculty was no longer able to do the dissection. They were forced to stand back and actually be instructors. That's, that's fascinating. I wasn't expecting that. Um, <clears throat> I can tell you the few ACID courses I've helped uh, teach, I find that to be very true, that the team really works as a team, and I'm more there as a uh, supervisor to kind of give them some helpful insights, but I don't have the time to actually take over the dissection. And uh, I guess the other benefit is because we're working on a cadaver, one side is the mirror image of the other, and so, uh, again, in terms of resource allocation, it becomes a bit easier. Um, so where do you think the course is headed in the next uh, five or ten years? Well, this, as I said, this has grown exponentially. And, and just by word of mouth and the experiences and the feedback we've gotten from the individuals who've taken the course, uh, I, I anticipate that this uh, will continue to be in great demand. Uh, in fact, I'm fielding at least three or four requests monthly now to do new sites and new courses. Uh, and so I think that this will grow rapidly. There has been some interest from the American Board of Surgery uh, to make this a mandatory 
course for residents sitting for their boards, much less like ATLS and FLS. Uh, I think that there's some challenges to be overcome before that happens. Specifically, if it becomes a mandate, are there enough sites to support that? Um, one of the challenges, as has been with Adam, is that this can be a costly course to put on. The cost of cadavers across the country is highly variable. It ranges anywhere from uh, several hundred dollars up to as high as $8,000, depending upon where you are in the country. And so it's very much <laughs> a local phenomenon. Back to your question though, about Adam, I think one of the challenges with the Adam course, there have been proponents that have felt that Adam should be a requirement for surgeons as well. Uh, the challenge there, as you alluded to, is the cost, uh, the one-to-one -one faculty to student ratio, uh, and not to mention the fact that this is an animal-based course and in this uh, era of uh, animal rights may be very difficult to adopt that. The one thing that my committee has been looking at is can we change the Adam course to uh, a more workable faculty-to-student ratio that will be less expensive. And there has been a lot of resistance, particularly from the folks that first developed the course, to make this happen. But we've tried to approach this in a scientific fashion. In fact, we now have done two demonstration courses, one in Canada and one in Baltimore where we've actually had a two-to-one student-to-faculty ratio. And as part of that study, what we did, and it was very labor-intensive, was to actually have each of the students who took the course do the, a PIG as a one-to-one -one faculty ratio and then also as a two-student-to-one faculty ratio with the same faculty doing uh, essentially two students. Um, and what we found was is that the feedback from the students is that they actually felt, the majority of them actually felt that it was a better educational experience when they were able to work with another resident or student. Similar to what you found with Asset. Similar to what we found with, with Adam. And, and part of the feedback was is that they felt it was less intimidating, that they actually were able to assist each other. And that's a very important point is that we do very little to train our residents how to be first assistants. And in a two-student-to-one-faculty two ratio, they actually had to help each other and think about how to help each other. It didn't really diminish the, uh, the experience at all because they were able to do all the injuries. It did add a little bit to the time. And that may be a, that may be a um, trade-off to the improved costs is does it take more time uh, in the lab if you're paying for the lab. But I think the future, clearly, if this course is to survive, is to continue this paradigm. And so where, as, as things progress, however, we're going more and more into the simulation world and away from the actual animate world. I just had the opportunity to kind of tour the, uh, the Sim Center here at Walter Reed, which is nothing short of incredible. Um, but most places won't have simulation facilities like you have. So what do you think is the future of simulation, and where does Asset Adam fit into that? Well, I think that we're on the cusp of a true revolution uh, in surgical education, and I think that simulation is going to play a large part of that. And I'm not sure that it's necessarily the simulators themselves that's pushing this revolution, but the fact that the accrediting bodies and the people who use um, training are actually asking us to validate the use of simulation, and that has actually forced us to look at how do we train people in general. And one of the things that's always amazed me in surgery is that until recently, we've really not had consensus-driven, standardized approaches to teach many of the things that we do. 
we've made some progress in that regard with the SCORE, the Surgical Council on Resident Education, and the national curriculum that we've now developed for residents. This is very basic curriculum, but one can imagine that that will be a paradigm for the future training of surgery. The problem with most surgical training in the past, it has been a target, it's been, an it's been training of opportunity. Uh, you basically learn to do things that you're exposed to because of work hour restrictions and patient variability, you get a very different surgical experience depending upon where you train. The real advantage of simulation and simulation technology is that well, it may now allow us to provide a standardized method to train students. Imagine if you had a physical model that had complete surgical correct anatomy that bled, that had tissue properties that you could then introduce various um, surgical differences in. For instance, you wanted to teach somebody how to do a Whipple procedure, and now I can provide you with a model that has two or three different types of anatomy and two or three different types of surgical pathology, then you can train a resident without having to actually take them through patient care to at least give them the opportunity to experience how to do that procedure prior to doing it in an actual patient. So do you think ultimately then down the road, the simulators will replace, actually replace either asset or Adam, the life pick course? I think that uh, there certainly is the possibility. I think that you will see more and more emphasis on the development of realistic surgical simulators in the future. Uh, there's certainly a lot of driving factors behind that. Uh, one thing driving this in the military in particular is that there's a lot of attention paid towards the use of live tissue training, and there's a lot of um, congressional interest in replacing live tissue training with alternatives. That has led to, led to some significant funding, uh, and many of the models that are being developed are being developed to replace live tissue training. Fred Lucchetti's group uh, published recently, maybe it was January issue of uh, General Trauma, a report where they perfused different colored fluid into the arteries and veins of the cadavers. And they really tried to convert the cadaver into more of a live model, bleeding model. Um, and they published that. They used it for the acid course, actually. So what are your thoughts about doing that to try to get away more from the pig model onto the human? You know, I think this is, is a very, very interesting and innovative approach to this. I'm very familiar with this model. It was actually developed by Dr. Aboud uh, from the University of Arkansas. And Dr. Aboud is a neurosurgeon. He actually developed this initially to train neurosurgery residents how to care for base of the skull and intracranial aneurysms. And what they did is they took a very fresh cadaver. They uh, hooked it up to a um, modified intraaortic balloon pump and created pulsatile flow in the blood vessels. And they found this to be very useful for training neurosurgery residents how to, to get to these vessels. We actually incorporated this model as a demonstration into one of our early beta asset courses to see if it would be applicable to the asset course. Uh, and in fact, it did provide a nice um, enhancement of the asset course with some pulsatile flow and some large blood vessels. The challenge with this model is that it requires a very fresh cadaver, uh, and cadavers, uh, unfortunately, are in very limited supply in many parts of the country, particularly very fresh cadavers. 
Uh, there's significant prep work involved with setting that cadaver up. And in fact, currently it takes somewhere between four and six hours to set up one cadaver. It's higher costs associated because of that. Um, it does, I, you know, I think it's very promising, but there's limited applicability to it. Which gets us back potentially to use of a um, inanimate model where all this is built in and it's much, much, much easier, I suppose, to facilitate. Yeah, I think that I think that that's clearly where this is heading. I think as uh, we develop better simulated physical models, that the cost will come down, uh, and that there may be certainly a role to incorporate some of those models into the courses that we're doing. In particular, we're developing a model here to teach people how to do craniotomies, and unlike a cadaver or a uh, animal. I can actually provide a student with pathology in a physical model. So I can give you a, a subdural or an epidural hematoma and ask you to then care for that individual. Likewise, if I wanted to teach you how to do an emergency C-section, I can't really do that in, a, um, in an animal, uh, nor can I really do that in a cadaver model since most of our cadavers are not pregnant and most of them are elderly individuals. I mean, these are excellent points, and uh, to even bring it home, in, in the last uh, two years, I can distinctly remember doing two median sternotomies on actual patients, both of whom had cardiac injuries. And I remember very well, in, in one instance, it was a fellow that I was working with uh, from a very prestigious institution uh, where that individual had trained as a resident, and the second uh, individual was a resident at, at an equally good institution. And each person intraoperatively commented to me that this is my first median sternotomy. I don't even know how to hold the saw. It was shocking to me that these individuals are, are in fact, tomorrow's trauma surgeons, and they can't do a simple procedure, a median sternotomy, much less deal with the pathology to be found once the, uh, once the torsos opened. So I think that there is a distinct need for enhancing the curriculum for trauma training, uh, be it a porcine model, a cadaver model, a inanimate model or an amalgam of all of those therein. Uh, and I think that the Committee on Trauma's uh, leadership in this and your vital role in bringing these courses to the forefront is really making, it's going to make a dramatic difference uh, in the preparedness of our uh, future um, trauma surgeons and general surgery colleagues. I think your point is very well taken. I think we are at a crisis, in my mind, <laughs> in surgical education. And as a uh, seasoned trauma surgeon receiving calls from outlying hospitals uh, whenever I'm on call, uh, the conversation usually starts with, I don't feel comfortable with X. And that list of X is getting longer and longer and longer. And I believe that our surgical residents uh, are fearing that they're not getting the training that they need. And it's not that they don't want to learn how to do these procedures. They, they haven't had the opportunities to do them. I think it's incumbent upon us, not only for our future care, uh, but also for the care of our patients, that we continue to produce highly skilled, competent practitioners who feel comfortable operating in all parts of the body. And clearly, as we move forward in the future, courses such as the ASSET course uh, augmented with uh, in increasing advances in technology, particularly simulation, will hopefully improve upon that. I completely agree with you. Well, we've been speaking today with Dr. Mark Boyer regarding the ASSET course and education in trauma as an overall topic. The ASSET course was a course that I found to be of immense value when I took it as a student, and I now really enjoy teaching it. I think it is my favorite course to teach in uh, trauma. 
Uh, I'd like to thank you again, Dr. Boyer, for taking the time to share your views with us and update us on the ongoing evolution of education and trauma. This concludes another edition of the East TraumaCast. For copyright information and disclaimers, please visit us at east.org. For the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma, I'm Dr. Babak Sarani.